Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Anthony D'Alessandro. And this is the Deadline Podcast Hero Nation with a very special episode, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. We're going all Venom today. So with that, I am, of course, very pleased. Both of us are very pleased to introduce what is one of, estimated one of the highest, he will say otherwise, but one of the highest grossing actors of all time. I will list it. Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Marvel Universe, more Marvel Universe now with his second directorial feature. Um, Planet of the Apes. What? Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. Yes. And my all-time favorite Andy Serkis movie, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, a wonderful biopic about the amazing Ian Dury. If you have not seen it, you should see it after you see Venom, Let There Be Carnage. All I'm saying. (laughs) Welcome, sir. Well, thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. Oh, and I forgot. Steven Spielberg's Tenton. Yes, indeed. Oh. (laughs) We can do this all day. (laughs) (laughs) Black Panther. (laughs) Marvel Universe, we got it. So, Andy, um, yes. one of the things that, about this is for all the listings off I've just done of your immense career, you also are someone who basically invented a new form of acting. And we should talk about this because your work with CGI and the way that you brought it to actually a human form, if you don't mind me putting it like that, was revolutionary and has been utilized throughout the industry ever since you, you, you did it and brought it in. And I found it very interesting when it was announced that you were going to direct the Venom sequel because it's obviously a CGI heavy tentpole. This was something where you had nothing but the skills to pay the bills. It was amazing. It was like it was it was invented for you. So what was it like on the other side like that? Well, look, I mean, I mean, I've been incredibly lucky to, to, to sort of join join in with when, 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 when the Lord of the Rings was happening. And Peter Jackson had this kind of idea that. He, 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 for me, in my, in my mind, it was, it was sort of a seminal change in, 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 in the fact that visual effects became character, truly, uh, sort of around that time. And there, there were other people that were looking at performance capture or motion capture, as it was called at the time. But, but, it, but it, it, it really took, I suppose, a, a single character to break, to break that to break the mold or, 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 you know, to get it, to move it forward to the next point. And, and I was happened to be lucky enough to play the role that did that. And it was, uh, and, it, and, and it's, what is great about it is that it truly does as a liberating 21st century actor's tool, it allows you to play anything. So, and you can bring, you can anthropomorphize, you can bring humanity to, you can bring expression to pretty much anything and uh, humanoid or not. And so that, I suppose, that journey that I've had for the last two decades with that, um, there have been so many great performances uh, by, by other actors and, uh, te- and companies that have been evolving the technology to allow that to happen uh, for such a long time now that, you know, I, I do feel like I was, I, was like, I was lucky enough to be the, the guy who got into the Ferrari to drive the, the car in the race that won, basically. And so I really do count myself as, as, as part of a progression and a movement that, that um, you know, I, I did get a, a lot of chances to, to to play in that arena, um, but, which but, I but, love. You know, a lot of people. You're being very humble, my friend, which is an admirable trait in any faith. But I mean, I also, but say like, but it wasn't just you got to play these roles. You you really made these. I mean, yes, other people have done this, and certainly nowadays the video game industry proliferates with it, as does blockbuster films. But the way you did it was there was, I would say, from my point of view. The technology is there. 
but let's strip it away a little bit. I always felt the way you did it was like a theater actor, the way you were playing it. Um, because one of the things we all hear about film, there's the famous Richard Burton story about how Elizabeth Taylor taught him that when you're on, on film, it's not like being a theater actor, you go small instead of large. But whereas I felt that what you did with your, your CGI characters, again, for lack of better expression, they were wide scape. They were as big as the landscapes in these films, which by themselves are always by definition huge. I think that's right. But at the same time, what you do learn, funnily enough, is that is that you can within that sort of um, there's a tension in, in performing in performance capture roles. There's a sort of a tension between the physicality and the stillness that you can bring to, you know, because you what you can watch yourself and you watch the avatar on a screen and you literally become the puppeteer of your own marionette, if you like. So once you've mastered the kind of how your body calibrates itself to whatever character you're playing, the avatar that you're playing, you can then, you know, you, you then do bring it right down. I mean, I, I think by the time I got to play C Caesar, and I know that we should be talking about um, Venom, but we will get We're going to talk about it all. Beauty of podcast. Um, we're talking about it all. If you're going to uh, stay, we're going to talk about it. Okay. By the time I got to play Caesar, I, I had learned that you could strip that down. Gollum was a very, very much more theatrical character and, and actually um, uh, much more kind of bold and f in terms of physicality. Caesar was, by the time I got to play Caesar, I realised that you could really bring it right down to the close-up so that the slightest, the very slightest um, piece of piece of movement was was enormous and 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 so that was that was a real that has been a journey over the course of 10 years of using this technology and actually at the end of the day acting is acting and and mm. and, and it, it doesn't really matter whether you, and I think I've always said this whether you're wearing prosthetic makeup no makeup or you're in a CG a, a motion capture performance capture suit with dots on your face it's you, you know, the, the performance either lives or dies and, and, and uh, on, on the on believability and emotional connection. And that's and that's the bottom line, really. So to the going back to this, um, <laughs> it's kind of rather tangential in a way, because we use performance. You can use now you can use the technology. You can use performance capture in so many different ways um, from in virtual production in in as a hybrid uh, you playing. You know, for instance, in Mowgli that I directed, we, we had actors who were going to be wolves and lions and, uh, you know, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And, you know, but actually it's all about how you anthropomorphize those characters and make them believable and, and form a connection to those characters. So facially, we designed them uh, in a very specific way. So they look like a wolf or a tiger, but actually you can read the facial expression. You could read Benedict Cumberbatch's facial expressions or Naomi Harris's facial expressions or Christian Bale's as, as Bagheera. So, so, so there are a million hybrid ways now of using performance capture to give soul to a, to, to a performance. On this, Tom Hardy, who, who it was my journey into this movie, um, is, who's a brilliant physical actor, as we know, and, and vocally extraordinary. And, we, and also co-writer of the screenplay, we should Co-writer of the screenplay, absolutely. And, uh, well, not co-writer, co-writer of the story. And Kelly oh, Marcel actually yeah. wrote, wrote the screenplay. Um, but, but I think he wanted me, he, was, he contacted me before the first Venom and said, Andy, I'm, I'm going to be playing this 
CG character in a Marvel movie, and I want to experiment with performance capture. Um, and then, and then uh, we, he was going to come down to our facility, the Imaginarium, and we were going to play around. He was going to get into a suit and play around with some avatars and see how it felt. He never turned up, and it, and it kind of nothing ever happened. So then. Um, a year, you know, two years later, Venom One comes out, and I go, "That's the film he's talking about." And I loved his performance in the first mm -hmm. Venom movie. Then he contacts me out of the blue and says, "Andy, we're we're sort of looking to build a team around to make the second Venom film. How do you feel about throwing a hat in the ring to to direct?" And I, I just thought, "This is this is perfect. This is this is a really amazing." Uh, sort of synchronicity, a kind of, you know, confluence of a, an amazing actor uh, who is fearless, um, playing, uh, you know, playing playing this duality, you know, the duality of Eddie Brock and Venom, um, and, and, and getting to sort of come on board at, at the point where, you know, I, I inherited the story at such an interesting moment, which is basically two years into a very complex dysfunctional relationship and then begin to, to, to bring that uh, alive and to introduce one of the great nemesis characters of, of, of the comic book world in carnage. Um, so it, so it was a, it was a, it's a, it's a sort of delicious prospect that I was able to step into and, uh, and a really interesting, you know, moment in this, in, in, in this story, in, in the character and the story arc of where it's at. Um, one of the first things I wanted to do was to use performance capture to create Carnage as a very different physical being to um, Venom. The thing about Venom is that he is, uh, he is like an American football player. He's ground, he's like a Neanderthal, he's weighty, he's front-facing, he's quite simplistic in his physical m m moves in many, in many ways. And, and he sort of has the, has the weight of a, like a killer whale crossed with a, gorilla you know but he's quite he's quite sim he's quite simple um and 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 truthful whereas as a, and, and and it's actually a fantastic kind of um amplification of of eddie brock in, in many ways mm. a, a great mirror to eddie brock and shows him up for all his flaws and dysfunctionality and the fact that he's not truthful and he's a bit of a complete liar in fact mm -hmm. most of the time what we wanted to do and we used performance capture to achieve the early stages of development with carnage was finding a physicality that was the opposite of that. So it was totally left field, idiosyncratic, twisted, off kilter, uh, um, that he would use Venom's straightforward energy, his battering ram energy to turn it back on himself, that he was taking all the, co the comic book elements and, and panels, finding how we made this, this new supervillain uh, twisted and more like a sort of sea creature that he doesn't walk bipedally very much. He uses tendrils to, to move around on or, you know. So that, that was sort of, that was a really interesting and exciting um, part of the process was, was creating this entirely new physicality for, for, for the Nemesis character. When it comes down to Tom Hardy's performance as Venom, and I'm going to stop talking in a bit because um, I'm, on, I'm on one, but um, Tom had already devised a way, a way of working, which actually hadn't, he, 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 it was all about the radio play for him. For him, the voice of Venom was, he, he created ah. it, he recorded the voice okay, before every single scene, and then he, he would have that playback in his ear. Now, he didn't want to have he didn't want to be tethered to any kind of eye line because he wanted to be able to create 
when venom's in his head, he wanted to be able to create venom whether, wherever he needed to be. So as a director, uh, you know, you, you then adapt the skills that you have, obviously, to, to incorporate a, an actor of Tom's, you know, immense skill to, to, to work around that different form of expression. So, so, so we didn't use performance captures straight up as, as you know, as one, as a, a lot of people do think on this movie, we used it for a kind of development in the development phase for Carnage. So for, and then you, had, for you, for Andy, for you, was that part of, because you've been such a pioneer in this element of this field, and I don't want to just be purely techie, but was that also, how did you feel about that? Because that sounds like Tom was, Tom was trying to, with you, work on a more organic way of doing this. This is this is Tom's process, which uh, which as a director, that what I'm saying is you come in and and you uh, I'm not going to turn around and say, you know, you've got to use performance capture. We 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 toyed with the idea of capturing, say, because Venom, because Venom is on screen a lot more in this this movie than he was in the last one. He was he, he made a couple of appearances as the Wraith and for the most part it was inside Tom's head. So that was the process he was used to. Uh, with, with, with Carnage and with Woody and uh, with that kind of amplification of Cletus Cassidy, um, w- you know, Woody was Woody actually did do some facial capture, um, but, but not during the scenes that we were shooting. It, would, it was a separate kind of event. He went off and c- captured lines, and and that's that's what I kind of that, that, you know there. Uh, I could just talk about this for hours, but uh, but the the, 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 dif- <laughs> the difference the difference between like for instance tom to create the voice of venom which was really all that he was interested in doing he wasn't so bothered about the facial expressions he he has to con- you know he sort of contorts his face you know in a particular way that that you wouldn't film because it would look strange mm-hmm. so 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 that's the, that's the sort of difference between creating a voice for a character and then and then do and then doing a kind of a, a, a vocal performance that's tied into a facial performance mm, interesting andy I saw this the other night at the Universal City Walk IMAX at a fan screening and it played like gangbusters. Oh, wow. Everybody loved it. There wasn't an empty seat in the house. I'm going to say it straight up. It's a better film than the first film. Obviously, you've got the higher stakes of and Carnage. That, you know, that, that is, the, there are only about two sequels that that's true of. Well, this is what I was curious. Where did you and Tom want to take the story? What was needed? I also thought in the sequel that there was a very good balance between the comedy and the more grave part of of the storyline, which was, you could see, was at at odds with each other in the first film. Well, I'm pleased you say say that because the tone was was the single most, you know, from everybody's point of view, the tone was the biggest challenge, the, the thing we talked about the most. The thing that we tried to harness from the first movie, and if and I suppose when when we when when I think back to the first movie, I think universally the moment that that people liked in that first movie was when when Eddie Brock climbed into a, a lobster tank in a restaurant, and <laughs> yes. cooled, cooled himself down, and then <laughs> a lobster. Now, in that moment, in that very moment, you have so many things going on. You have the true. truly believable parasite that's making him hot and sweat sweaty and going through an episode that makes him want to get into that it's it's a kind of sort of button buster keaton-esque kind of slapstick moment and and then but it's underpinned emotionally because because of you know he's in a restaurant with Anne, the person that he he loves you know it's played by michelle williams 
played by Michelle Williams, of course. And so he's, he's, there's so many uh, kind of things at play in that moment. And that was the thing that we wanted to take on into this next movie. This, this kind of delicious, uh, uh, kind of base level of dark characters or, you know, believable, emotional, dysfunctional characters. And everyone in this movie is pretty dysfunctional. And that with complicated backstories. Yeah, like I us. mean, isn't that the isn't that the basically the spine of Venom? The, the whole yeah. Venom franchise is like, if you're not dysfunctional, you can't be here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much, pretty much. I mean, and th and then these multiple love stories. You know, yeah. Eddie still loves Anne. Venom still loves Anne. Uh, and Venom and Eddie have a you know. That, I mean, yeah. in many ways, to me, that feels like that is the love story. I mean, no it disrespect is. to Michelle in that relationship, but but uh, for, it is. But but you know what I mean. But that's what it is. It is. It's. It, it is as if, I mean, this is the relationship that psychiatry talks about, right? With your super ego and your id fighting against each other for the way you will live your life. In this case, it's writ large. Absolutely, 100%. And so that, that to, to your point, you know, what we wanted to examine the most in this story was that relationship, was that, you know, Eddie is... You know, at the at the end of the first movie, he says, "You've got to live in my. If you're going to live in my body, you have to live by my rules, basically." And 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 there, here we are now, two years down the line. They're living in a tiny apartment. They're on top of each other. Both of them want me time. Neither of them are getting it. It's a push and pull. They can't live with each other. Can't live without. You know, Eddie wants to yeah, sort of I go just, back to. Eddie, some I just sort want of... to say something. The, obviously, the film was supposed to come out in October 2020 and was delayed because of the pandemic. That element of it to me felt like clearly written beforehand, very much in sync with the, the COVID lockdown world many of us have had to live in. 100%. I mean, you know, families crammed into apartments, yeah. you know, it's, it's that absolutely speaks, speaks to that. It really, really does. I think people will relate to that. And, and, and uh, you know, especially having this kind of gigantic kind of oversized, uh, you know, I keep thinking of him as a, as a, as a sort of a, to you know, a toddler who's who's actually the, 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 the truth teller and is saying, look, you, Eddie Brock, are a, a fake. You lie. You, you're not honest to yourself. You have no ambition. You're, you're not living life to your full potential. And 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 Eddie's going. Look, I want I want my life back. I want to do a bit of investigative journalism, investigative journalism, just because I can make a buck, and I want I want the easy life, and I want to sit on the couch and watch football, you know. And 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 it's just like we can be out there being the lethal protector, and you you are holding me back. You are literally holding me back. So there's this push and pull that's going on between them. Although they are, they know that they can't be apart, and they do love each other they do they recognize each other and they see each other and they are fully connected so and that's one of the obviously when it comes to the the, the differences between them and and uh and, and uh, cletus cassidy and um carnage they just are not symbiotic in the truest sense of the word at all because they yeah. are both totally driven by separate agendas and there's this thing in between which is where, where you know the cletus the, the, the person Cletus loves most of all is 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 Shriek and it's Francis Barrison and that's that so these really wonderful kind of complicated uh, interpersonal relationships that are going on all the way through the story we wanted to take to to go back to your question about where we wanted to take this this part of the story this part of the movie we wanted to to expand it the first one was about kind of was was very gritty it was dark it was psychological it was a, a man who's very sick you know discovering he has an alien inside of him this this is this is becomes 
at the same moment, it, it, you know, it, it sort of becomes a kind of quite operatic story and and grows. And so I wanted to make it more. Um, it, it's a, it was always going to be a, an entertaining roller coaster ride, very fast paced, but it, it wanted to move into to, to have all of this breadth of uh, you know underpinned so you know socially real, psychologically you know absolutely connected, emotionally connected. But then but then and and and, and you know. You, you, you one minute one minute you're you're in a, a death chamber with someone about to die a, a serial killer being put to, put to sleep by death by lethal injection uh, you know, and the next minute you've got this frankensteinian monster bursting out of a chamber it's it's we wanted to have those those kind of creative bellows to really go, go from the very intimate to the to the to the big operatic and 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 so who better to be the DOP for that than Bob Richardson? I mean, he yeah. he really, he, he and also- if, if people, of course, Bob Richardson, who's directed many of the Oliver Stone movies, has worked yeah. with Martin Scorsese and many, many others. Yeah. You know, a master of the craft. Um, a, a master at visually dancing with performance and and telling, telling a story. And then for him, because I've worked with Bob on a, on, a, on a movie called Breathe a few yeah. years ago, very interesting. Which was personal. your directorial debut, well, featured It was indeed. Debut. Yeah, and, 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 a, and a very personal. I'm just here for the Trivial Pursuit part of this. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, when did yeah. you know you were allowed to extend to the greater MCU? Was that something that you knew you could do when cameras rolled? Or was that something that was accentuated later on? Um, well, Put it this way: It's it, it was. I think you know. Obviously, Tom and uh, Tom Hardy and, and Kelly and and the team at Sony were, were they, they there's an arc to this. Obviously, some somewhere mm -hmm. along the line, they weren't just thinking about individual movies. They're thinking about about where eventually it's going to go. And uh, you know, much like the Apes movies, actually, it's like at what point do you want to land in at the, at back at the beginning of the story? You know, where, where, where when where do you where do you where do you land fully in, into the MCU? Now, I think what we've done in this is to take us quite a way down the line, uh, but it still leaves room for other explorations in the Venomverse before we finally, you know, get, get fully, you know, if we were to be so lucky as to take, you know, and whoever becomes the custodian from here on in, um, to, you know, basically gets to... to, to it, it, there are so many, I think, interesting characters that Venom could come up against before he gets to let's pl let's place this very clearly before he gets to Spider Man. Yeah. Um. Are you already on board for part three? No, not at all. I mean, who knows if there will be a part three? I mean, it there's going to be a part three. Uh, yeah, well, there will be. <laughs> let's let's hope that people go to. I the will cinema. take your money now, knowing that you're going to get paid for it later. There's going to be a part three. Well, I, I sincerely hope for everybody involved that there, that there is. Um, that, uh, but you're up for it, at least. Of, of course. You did such a great job. Well, I, I had a ball making it. I mean, I just had the most brilliant time working with, you know, incredible actors at the top of their game, basically. And, and with a brilliant visual effects team. I mean, you know, Sheena Dougal, who headed up the most extraordinary team of, of artists who, you know, that, that was so just very quickly about the visual effects, actually. The, the, you know, one of the one of the big things I wanted to, to, to push in, in, in this was the believability of the integration of the CG. They're very unforgiving characters, Venom and Carnage, symbiote, as symbiote characters. They're, 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 they're kind of 
big, the big mouths, the big eyes, they're not that kind of expressive. For me, it was just like, how do we make these believable? Um, how do we integrate them into the environments? And that's why Bob, you know, Bob Richardson, the way that we decided to shoot, which was very shallow focus, not kind of overly celebrate these CG characters, you know, and then and then Sheena, who fully understands uh, cinematography and um, and and how to use light and uh, to to uh, uh, equally as well as as Bob does in her field in the CG world to actually really make it feel like these these unforgiving CG symbiote characters really belong in in the you know the world of the film and part of that discussion was around saturation and and the and the frame that we chose we made it full frame and not and not um, uh, you know uh, two 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 four zero uh, letterbox. We made it full frame because we wanted space for the symbiotes to fight, and yeah, just make it, just make them really believable in this world, uh, given the extraordinary things they had to do in it. Um, and Andy, we have to ask you. Yes, we have to ask you. We've asked you about a Venom, an, another film. Whether or not you're on board for that, we asked about this. We've listed off your immensely impressive credits. Can <laughs> we talk Batman for one second? We. Do you know what I'd love to talk to you about, Batman? I, I, I've been expressly forbidden to talk about Batman uh, on pain of death. So um, <laughs> what I can tell you is that because Matt Reeves is a very, very, very beautiful human being and a very close friend of mine, I can tell you that uh, I know that it's going to be, I just think it's going to be an extraordinary movie because he's his kind of, you know, his level of detail and kind of, uh, the way he's gone into the storytelling on this is 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 just phenomenal, and and uh, I mean, eventually when we all get to see it, which hopefully will be next year, uh, when well, it comes out in March next year, I think, yeah, uh, that, that's that, that's the hope, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I I do know, or, or, I, I I think it's going to be incredible, but I now, can't say anything course, about the character. Okay, but you of course play Alfred, pivotal character in the Batman mythology. <laughs> just, did you did you reach out to Sir Michael Caine and say, hey, you know? <laughs> How? I didn't. I've worked with I've worked with Michael before um, on on various other films, but no, I did not. Oh, interesting. Well, <laughs> Batman is coming out in March 2020, but Venom: Let There Be Carnage is going to be released on October 1st everywhere. And of course, this is now many of us back in the theaters. So great hopes, fingers crossed. Thank you very much, Andy, for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been real fun. Well, that was amazing with Andy, and, and I'm not kidding. That was one of the one of the best ones we ever had. He's he has a permanent perch here. If he ever wants to come back for Venom three or anything else, and of course we're going to ask him to come back to talk Batman next year. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast, Hero Nation. Make sure you listen to us every week, and you can do that by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, so you never miss an episode of our Carnage. And of course, you can find all of our breaking news coverage of TV, film, business, and everything affecting our industry at Deadline.com. And of course, next week, Bond. James Bond. Until then, see ya. <laughs>